And we are live. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Frankly Speaking on Fridays podcast. I am your host, Frank Pedorm, or if you're joining me here on Twitch or watching on YouTube, you'll know that my handle is Fapism. Again, just call me Frank. But hello, welcome. Hey, guess what? It's Friday again. It is Friday again. We did it. 10 times in a row now. It is episode 10, November 12th, 2021. Holy crap, y'all. We did it. Another week. We have survived bread. Bread. We ate bread. Hopefully, maybe we ate bread. We've breathed air. We've drank water. We've gained knowledge. We've forgotten some knowledge. Uh, but that's normal. That's, that's kind of a part of life. You know, the hard drive gets full and then the brain's like, nah, that's kind of useless. But that's it. We're doing it. We're living and breathing together, surviving and thriving as best as we possibly can. To this day on Friday, where we all have hopefully the weekend in which to look forward to, where we can relax, unwind, and maybe enjoy a beer or two. Spend time with the kids and family. Yeah, that sounds lovely. But hey, welcome to episode 10. Finally made it into the double digits, which really surprises me just a little bit. I didn't actually think I would be able to keep up with the consistency of this podcast, but damn it, I made sure I do my best, and here we are. So, as always, to commemorate the podcast, and here's a happy 10 episode. Here is a shot to the podcast, to you, the listeners, and to me for rambling into an empty room with a microphone and three monitors. That's that's about what I do here. So, here, prost. Ooh. I actually decided to treat myself this podcast, too, with some brandy. Christian Brothers Brandy. Anyway... I hope your week has been well. My week has been rather <clears throat> clarifying, I suppose. Uh, particularly within this new job that is coming up of being a field underwriter, as we are calling ourselves within the insurance game. Went through the programs we'll be using, went through how we go about with our calls, went uh, with uh, this and that. Oh, and I actually wrote my first policy. That's true. Absolutely. To myself. <laughs> I now have a 10k accidental death and dismemberment with a return of premium rider. If you have no idea what any of that is, that's fine. Just know that I am insured in case I randomly die somewhere, somehow. In addition to my life insurance. <clears throat> Why, did I say 10k? Oh yeah, 100k. 100k. Thank you, Shelby's. Yeah, 100k policy. Good times. Good stuff. Good coverage. Good protection. Oh, I did. <clears throat> okay, yeah, 100k. AD&D protection. Maybe one day... Oh, excuse me. When uh, Shelby's and I get more into this line of career and work... Maybe we'll have an insurance talk on the Frankly Speaking on Fridays podcast for you listeners who are questioning potentially what insurance is, how it can be beneficial, and can you afford coverage? The answer 
more than likely is yes. Anyway, so we've been doing a lot of that, been attending a lot of meetings, <clears throat> and I kind of took a break off of streaming uh, the beginning of this week. It came to the point where I was dreaming that I was streaming right after I got done streaming, and I've had that with jobs as well. I remember back in undergraduate school when I was still working at the gas station, I would work, you know, like the 5 to to 11.30 or midnight shift, and then I would drive home, begrudgingly eat my McDonald's, go to bed, and in my dream, I'm standing right behind that register again, selling cigarettes and lottery tickets. <clears throat> and then I'd wake up and have to go back that evening and repeat it all over again. The thing about that is that when I start doing that, I need to take a break. Uh, just a little bit. It was only three days, I believe. Uh, and then we came back. We uh, played some more. Speaking of playing some more, uh, tomorrow, here on twitch.tv slash plays will be the Shell Beast Rebloodening Challenge beginning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. So, please don't miss it. Come in. Say hello. Uh... It's probably not going to take as long as we have anticipated. So, after we get done playing Bloodborne, we'll play something else. Just to unwind from all the blur that is involved with that game. But yesterday we began XCOM, which was going rather well, I feel. Yeah. That's really kind of been just our lives uh, within the past month perhaps, coming up a month, is studying, training, getting certified for this new job, understanding the roles of our jobs, and then streaming. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to have a more solidified schedule because it's kind of been back and forth a bit. And hopefully Shell Beast will get back into her streaming as well. I know she's eager. I know she's potentially a little bit nervous. But uh, I have agreed, if I may share this, uh, Shell Beast, that she does plan and wants to stream Bloodborne and uh, the Miyazaki games in general. But she's going to begin with Bloodborne. And I'm going to be there just to coach and help. Just because I think... My patience and understanding towards the game <clears throat> is more than hers as of right now. Although, knowing her, I'm sure she could easily excel at the game beyond me. So, we'll give her the good, family-friendly... <laughs> family-friendly. Right, come to our streams. Nothing about them is family-friendly. Oh, Mom, can I can I go watch a streamer? Oh, sure, honey, what is it? Is Fapism Place? What? Yeah, that'll go over real well with the youngins. I'm glad for the following that I have, where they're probably intrigued by the name of Fapism, but they hopefully know that there's something more to it other than just... <laughs> what, what's this dude's deal? How sexual is this stream? Not at all. It's not a sexual innuendo, I promise. Uh, but yeah, hopefully once we start diving deep, which will be happening, if not Sunday, then Monday, uh, we'll be diving deep into our new job, 
trying to figure that out and uh, hopefully start making some money. But as a shout out, I suppose, for Shell Beast and myself, <clears throat> if you live in the state of Indiana and you need coverage, let us know. We'll help you out. Life. Health. Mortgage. We'll get you taken care of. Anyway, that was basically my week. Very short week wrap-up. Because uh, <clears throat> not a whole lot in which to talk about other than just... Um, yeah, I mean, it was Dadism's birthday yesterday, so uh, happy birthday again, Dadism. That's cool. He had a good time, as far as I can tell. However, let us go and dive into some articles. As uh I have a couple of things that I want to talk about, uh, and I'll dive into what and why when we get into it. But unfortunately, I have to make some unfortunate news, <clears throat> which came out technically in August, but it's the first that I heard of it. Um, evidently, the voiceover community lost an actress. Um... The actress being, uh, I'm going to butcher her name because I'm horrible at names. I'm so sorry. Uh, but Christina Lewis. Christian Lewis? I'm going to go with that. Uh, but she was a voice actress who did Halo and Overwatch. She was Brazilian. Um, she was Cortana in Halo. Oh, shit. She was Cortana in Halo. And Mercy and Overwatch. And Helen Lovejoy in The Simpsons? No shit. That's awesome. Anyway, um, age 49, and she has allegedly been murdered in the city of Rio de, de Janeiro. I'm horrible with names and foreign names. Excuse me. My American upbringing is atrocious. <laughs> But yeah, unfortunately, it looks like she was murdered, but it looks like they uh, they potentially may have found the suspect and has him arrested, so. Oh, that sucks. I You hate to read it. You really hate to read it. Um, if you want to read this article, of course, I'll post it in the chat as well as in um, the descriptions of all my podcasts. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at it. Uh unfortunately, Rio de Janeiro uh, I'm not going to bother. I'm just going to butcher it. But anyway, yeah, uh rest in peace. You didn't deserve that and you know, we appreciate your work that you've done and always will. Absolutely. It it's just it's unfortunate to watch anyone that we appreciate their work for pass away. Uh, we all can we all can relate to that in so many ways, especially within our actors. Um, yeah, God, I uh, like friggin' like actors who have passed away. Like Alan Rickman comes up, Robin Williams, um, Heath Ledger. Like just damn, like you just hear those names and you think of. The work they've done, the talent they possessed, and 
the fact that they're gone, you just, ugh. the world misses them just as the world is going to miss her. So I'm, I'm truly sorry. Uh, my heart and my thoughts go out to the family, uh, but and the communities who she influenced and touched, but that that's all I can do. That's all I can say, unfortunately. All right, on to uh, happier notes, uh, speaking happier-ish notes, but still related to video games and technology. Uh, let's talk about graphic cards again. I know I talked about it last week, considering the heist that happened for the NVIDIA. Oh, let me look at my computer. Yeah, the MSI Geoforce RTX graphic cards. You know, I'm currently running on a 2080 Super. I would love a 3090. However, not only is there a shortage, but there is also thefts happening. And these cards are being stolen. So, NVIDIA RTX, let's talk about you some more. Why am I talking about NVIDIA again? Well, my dear listener, let me tell you. This came out a couple of days ago, actually, one, and of course, as always, there it is, in case you wish to read it, and of course, it will be posted in, uh, it will be posted in the descriptions of every single platform this podcast comes out in. So, NVIDIA RTX. I'm not even going to read the title. Just know that it was written by Andrew Paul Heaton. The graphics card industry is thwart with competition, with NVIDIA and AMD already locking horns and Intel about to step forward into the ring. As tech shortages continue to rage on, it doesn't stop the big conglomerates from putting out pro products, with NVIDIA looking to unleash a slew of new GPUs, both laptop and desktop. On top of that, it's looking like the next generation of graphic card technology is just around the corner, with a rumor suggesting that the 4000 series could be coming in the middle of next year. You heard me right. According to the speculations from known leaker Kopite 7 Kimi, I'm assuming that's how you pronounce the name. There's a strong possibility that NVIDIA will be unveiling its next generation of GPU by Q3 2022. No exact date is given, obviously, but this would put that around July onwards. The tweet specifically refers to the unveiling of the 4090, 4080, and 4070 graphics cards, adding that this is not new information. What's interesting to note is that the leaker does not say whether these products will be getting released or simply announced with a rough date, uh, by the rough date specified. I'm gonna pause right there from reading this because honestly, I feel that I don't need to read anything further from this article. And I know Shelby's has heard this, but you, my listener, other listeners have not heard this rant and ramble. Oh, here we go. So here's the thing. Sure. Competition is high. AMD, Intel, uh, you, you gotta really go and, and hello, Josh. Welcome to the frankly speaking on Friday's podcast. Here's the thing with NVIDIA and these graphic cards. 
I'm running my PC on a 2080 Super. Gonna lurk before my swim. By all means, lurk. Just keep the volume up, because you may want to hear this. Potentially, potentially not. I'm running my current tower on a 2080 Super. I love my 2080 Super. The build that I have right now for my PC and my tower will last me easily another five years. With all the games that are coming out and the graphics and the updates, everything of that nature, fine, great, whatever. However, like I said before, I would like to upgrade to a 3090. Just because, as of right now, that is the best thing that I can get, and I want the longevity of my tower to be as long as possible. And at least I only have to do components now, rather than lump sums of money in order to build the entire thing. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, because of the shortage, and now because people are stealing trucks worth of NVIDIA graphic cards, as I read last week. Why, for the love of God, would they decide to go and come out with their next generation graphic cards? We're still in a pandemic, depending upon where you live and how wherever you live is handling the COVID-19 virus. And there are still some places that are coming with their fifth wave of it. So that's obviously a complication. We're still dealing with the shortage, so that's another complication. People are now stealing graphic cards. There's a third complication. 3090 graphic cards, as I said last week. Again, I know. But 3090 graphic cards are over $3,000. My initial setup with three monitors and all the components in my tower, which is an AMD Ryzen 9 2080 Super, uh, I forget whatever hell else that I have in there, but it's damn good. 32 gigs of RAM. All my setup initially was three grand and I'm going to have to spend three grand plus in order to get a single graphic card for the 3090, their current launch. So sure, they may announce it. It may be coming out with a potential end of year release. So yeah, so next year, 2022 in December, November, December, a year from now, essentially, they could be releasing the RTX 40 series, 4000 series. How much are those graphic cards going to be? Because if a 4090 is going to be $5,000, why in the hell would I spend five grand on a graphic card where the games aren't even up to date for that type of graphic? The only time that that would be applicable or appropriate is if you have a five monitor setup and all of them can run an 8K. But then again, what games would support that? What games can be out in an 8K standard or just the capability of it? We're still dealing with the standard of 4K. What potential possibility? And reasoning do they have to create the 4000 series and potentially release it next year in order to uh, then be selling these things? Shelby says, not games, photography, and film. Okay, that's fair. So video games need to catch up. So I guess I need to know and ask then, how far along is photography and film? 
where are they as far as like graphics goes? And then even if they're producing things in 8K, like the Amer like the standard consumer doesn't have the technology in order to be able to like fully enjoy that. Hell, I don't even think my iPhone 11 Pro has 8K capability. So much more than games. Okay. All right, fine. All right, fine. So they're just advancing it not only for uh for competition uh competition's sake, but they're advancing it more for the film industry, private film individuals, and then photographers. The, depending upon what your type of artistry is, says Shelby's. Sure, of course, makes sense. However, who's going to pay that amount of money? Who can afford that amount of money for a graphics card? Like, I know there are plenty of people who probably can, but for you, for me, for... The majority of my friends and my followers, we do not have five grand in which to dump into a single graphics card. And of course, I'm only assuming that the 4090 is five grand. Who knows? Maybe the 4070 is only 3,500. Even so, $3,500, I can think of a lot of things to do with 3,500. And I'm sure you can too. So... I'm looking at this and like, I'm thinking, okay, sure, advance things, get better graphics, probably make things more 8K accessible as a standard. But who the hell in the public is going to be able to afford these things? How many of them are going to be released? Considering the previous three things of COVID still being around, of the shortage still being around, and now of people robbing trucks how accessible are these new graphic cards going to be in a year now again in a year god only knows what's going to happen in a year excuse my sniffles i got allergies but i feel and i believe that these companies they're doing it for purely and strictly for the sake of competition rather than the interests of the general public. Just because the, what, the 30 came out? When did the 30 series come out? It was sometime like mid last year, right? Um, uh, let me see real quick. Series release date. All right, let's see. It was released um, October. What? No, here we go. Okay, it was the RTX 3080 and 3090 saw their release in September of 2020. So they're literally taking two years, essentially, in order to come out with their next generation graphic card. All right, I'm new into technology and to building my own PC and what have you, but is this how fast technology is actually moving? Two years and then scrap the old stuff? We got to keep going? God, maybe it is. Oh my God. So what are the initial prices for the, for the 30? 
because um, I'm sure that has been heavily inflated by now. I mean, without a doubt, you know, three grand for... Uh, price, here we go, that's it. All right, let's see. 3090. The expected enthusiast class GPU was anticipated to be above $2,000 price point and likely closer to three grand. Um, 2080 Ti's position in a consumer GPU throne was at the price of point of uh, 1500. Yeah, so still about three grand. Oh, hold on, wait. At the September 1st event, NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang confirmed that NVIDIA's Ampere top model, the RTX 3090, will cost $1,499. Prices have literally doubled more than. So again, that brings me back to my, my initial question and gripe. How much? are these new graphic cards going to cost? I think it'll be too much. I think it'll be too much. And as always, here's this. Uh, the article that I just referenced. I mean, it's cool that, you know, technology's moving that fast, I guess. But at the same time, dear God, can we please slow down just a little bit? Can we enjoy what we have? Can we move past the pandemic can we move past this shortage can we somehow be able to get past all of it before we can exhale regroup and then be like oh look something new let's go uh, i feel i still haven't like fully gotten over the pandemic i'm still feeling as if well, not know why i'm still feeling it because we're still in it we're still in the pandemic Things have not become normal, quote-unquote normal, and I doubt they ever will be. And if they do, it's not going to be for about a decade later, five years at least. But then again, that's coming from a musician, voice actor, and narrator. I have no medical any training whatsoever. Hell, I don't even have a license for CPR. <laughs> Why would you ever trust? You can trust my voice. But uh, do not trust the medical advice which comes out of it. Although I still feel that I'm more qualified than, uh, uh, oh God, what's that online doctor, WebMD? I think I'm more qualified than WebMD. I think they still have the running joke that all it says is that you have cancer. <laughs> anyway. Those are my thoughts on that. I think it's too soon. I think it's going to be too expensive. While it's nifty, they're coming out with the next thing. The general public is not going to be able to afford it, nor would have a use for it. The only people who will be using it, as Shelby's mentioned, will be for photography and film. And the only gamers who will be able to afford it are people like uh, PewDiePie, The Beast, Markiplier, Jacksepticeye, uh, Pokemane, Ninja. Those top people will be able to utilize it but even then would they even want it no idea those people i know markiplier for a fact is rocking a 3090 why would he want to go with something more that he potentially won't be able to utilize or even want to again if it's primarily uh going towards photography and film then 
games have years in which to catch up in order to be able to fully utilize the full power of the 4000 series. Anyway, uh, that's my thought on that. Tell me your thoughts. You can tell me them right now, either live here on chat, or you can email the podcast at fsofpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, I can read your thoughts, questions, concerns, and topics of suggestion there. However, let us move on to the next topic. I've been talking about these graphic cards and NVIDIA's for uh, NVIDIA for two weeks now. I think we need a break from it. So come next week. No topic, no graphic card discussion, nothing of that nature. Moving right along. The next topic of discussion is something that kind of came about during last night's stream. Uh, when myself and Shelby's were streaming XCOM, having the followers be our soldiers... Uh, we lost two apologies it was beyond my control and i do my best to move on once a death happens except for one instance because that was bullshit <laughs> it's just pure bullshit um but myself shelby's and my moderator uh we were talking about our musical experiences specifically pertaining to uh, the music educator side, they were talking about their experiences in different states of doing their, um, their, uh, I, I want to say student shadowing. I know that's not the right terminology, uh, student, um, okay. Uh, throw me the bone. What is it? Student, what student? learning student teaching student teaching got it nailed it <laughs> their experiences with student teaching and their experiences um although different very similar to a certain extent and it kind of got me think i i never went that route i was never a music education major i was uh strictly music performance during my undergraduate degree and even my graduate studies i have my bachelor's and my master's strictly in music performance for french horn period but listening i know shelby's story but listening to my other moderator uh share his experience with with uh, his student teaching, it just kind of brought like a little bit of uh, of uh, memory back of when I was more ingrained in the musical world, when I was hearing, you know, news, news uh, cast and news article and reading these things and hearing these things of just school programs being depleted and budgets being cut and a result of budgets being cut the first thing that's on the chopping block are the arts and i just remember hearing and listening just art program and music program one after another being cut left and right only for the sake of budget meanwhile athletics is still fine i hold a huge bias against that obviously
Excuse me. Sorry. Water break. So I thought, okay, <clears throat> before I begin this podcast earlier this afternoon, I decided to, I decided to read up on a couple of things. I decided to search out a little bit, like why are people cutting these budgets? Why are these budgets being lowered? What can we do if we can do anything? And I found a couple of interesting and I feel and hope useful websites, which I will share with you, uh, two in particular. The first one is the children's music workshop. And the other one is the save the music foundation. And I read through these articles and I feel that they kind of need to be said, uh, just a little bit, just because in like being a public educator is bad enough to begin with. There's a recent TikTok video, which has been going about of a fourth grade teacher and how he puts in, you know, sometimes 10 hours or more a day doing what he has to do, not only with teaching and grading and creating lesson, lesson plans, but then there's also all the extra extracurricular stuff outside of it, things that he has to do, such as parent teacher conferences, such as meetings, such as this, such as that. And he went about after his initial TikTok video because someone said, yeah, well, you only work like eight or nine months out of the year. So he came back. And he's like, yes, I do only work eight or nine months out of the year. So here's all the hours that I'm calculating per week, both in the classroom and also outside of the classroom that I have to do. And I'm going to go about and put my salary against the eight or nine months. He, I think he did nine within his video and he calculated all the hours and divided from, you know, his annual salary. That fourth grade teacher was only making $14 an hour. And while he loves and is passionate about his job and he loves being able to do what he does to connect with these kids, to teach them, to watch them grow and prosper, he's only making $14 an hour. I was making $13 an hour as a housekeeper and a house aide of a hotel. I am $1 short from cleaning rooms than him influencing and teaching the future of that area. We've all had good and bad teachers. We know how important and crucial public educators are. But $14 an hour for all that education, for all that effort, for all that testing that he had to do in order to get certified to get $14 an hour. People wonder, other countries wonder what is wrong with the education system within the United States. Well, there's problem number one. Public educators are not getting paid sufficiently enough by any means. Nor is the education system being funded properly to begin with. The fact that we they have to have budgets, one thing is fine. But two, the fact that 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 money can just be depleted, is gone through, and then programs need to be cut. That is not a properly funded system. It is not a properly managed system. 
And of course, you know, he's a fourth grade teacher. He will always be a fourth grade teacher unless he chooses to do so otherwise. Music educators and uh, art teachers. Yes, they will always have that passion. They will always have that, uh, that want to be able to share and to what have you. But to be a music educator or a art educator, I guess, in the public system, not only are you making, you know, that $14 an hour, at least using the example of that TikToker, but then also knowing that your job is the first thing on the chopping block. It's one of the reasons why I never went into education. It's because I didn't want to take that list. I didn't want to deal with the bureaucracy and the politics of the education system, especially public. I figured I would rather get my master's, potentially my doctor's, and then I could just become a professor of French horn at whatever institution. Of course, if I was good enough, etc., etc. But even then, I would not have to go through all those uh, states, you know requirements and testing and whatnot and get licensed in order to teach there. I would be just good as a, basically an adjunct. So with that said, I'm going to read this article or at least portions of this article, uh, in order to prove a couple of things, uh, or at least of what the children music, or children's music workshop has to say about this whole thing. So I skipped down a little bit past the introduction because it's survey of, uh, of races and how they do better with music within the K through 12 program. But <clears throat> the first thing that it says is survey shows teachers, parents place a value on music education. I would hope so. It says. Parents and teachers believe music education in schools is vital, so vital that they'd rather cut advanced placement classes or gym than music, according to a new study released Tuesday. I should specify, uh, if I can, no I cannot, it does not show a time of date that this was published, nor an author, so take with that as you will. They also believe music should be required be a required class in middle school and that students should have a chance to learn an instrument as early as elementary school. I began playing French horn in the fifth grade. I was 10 years old. I'll be coming up 20 years playing French horn. The study striking a chord, the public's hope and beliefs for K through 12 music education in the United States 2015 aimed to document the attitudes and beliefs of parents and teachers about music education. It surveyed 1,000 teachers and 800 parents. It's worth noting that art teachers comprise just 12% of the sample. The sample also included teachers of English, science, mathematics, and other subjects. The study was funded by the NAMM Foundation, a Carlsbad, California-based advocacy group for music education. It's named for one of its supporting organizations, the National Association of Music Merchants. The survey was conducted by the Bethesda MD research and consulting firm Grunwald Associates, Associates LLC. Many of, of the findings come as no surprise. <clears throat> For example, the study found that parents and teachers think music is critical to a child's social, emotional, 
education. They want more quality music programs in schools, more professional developments for teachers, and more instruments for students. They also believe poor schools lag behind wealthy schools in the quality and quantity of music education programs, and that schools with involved parents are more likely to have music programs. Well, yeah, because all the funding essentially comes from the public and the parents. So if the parents are involved, then it's more likely that the music programs will thrive. But some of the findings stand out. This survey included just 1,800 people, so it's unclear how representative it is of the total population of parents and teachers in the United States. You can read more about the respondents on page 27 of the report. It's also worth noting that the survey asked about uh, perceptions and beliefs that didn't show how closely those perceptions reflect reality. For example, it didn't actually count how many of the students in poor schools had instruments. Regardless, some of the findings were interesting. Picking music over sports. In tough budgetary times, parents and teachers said that they would rather cut advanced placement classes or even athletic programs than music. The sports aspect was particularly interesting because often communities see sports sports programs as a critical part of the public school experience too. Respondents were asked to identify possible budget cuts in 15 different areas. They found 12 areas that would rather cut uh, they would rather cut than music, including administration and standardized testing. God, we all hated standardized testing. Those things were so damn useless. I'm sure they have a great potential purpose, but I know that they've been doing Oh, yeah, I remember this. Um, it was founded or said that they were doing too many, like, public standardized testings to the point where the teachers weren't actually able to do their job just because they had to teach nothing but the next standardized test. So, yeah, cut, cut that. That's fine. That's fine. Regional differences. The report uncovered stark regional differences in perceptions. When asked about access to music ed education, enrollment in music classes, and minutes per week required for mu music education, teachers and parents to a lesser degree in the western part of the country rated their schools much lower than parents in the northeast, midwest, or south. Shelby says, I had two a year from second grade to tenth grade. God, that's... Ugh. I cared so little about them, I don't even remember how many times I had to do them a year. I just literally did not care. Then the ACT and SAT. Yeah, I remember those. Ugh, God, horrible memories. Uh, going on, the study also found music teachers in the West are less likely to have a district curriculum to follow or a music requirement for graduation in their schools. In general, there's less integration of music education with other subjects in the West as well. And parents in the West say their children are less involved in music programs outside of school. The response from, represent, uh, this response from respondents in the Northeast part of the country was, for the most part, a polar opposite of that in the West. In the Northeast, respondents reported higher enrollment of music courses, more programs, more integration, and more full-time music programs. Respondents in the southern part of the country mirrored those in the West to a lesser extent. I was about to say, Texas is fucking killing music right now, and has been for a while. The report did not offer further details about the regional differences, nor did it offer any explanation. 
quote-unquote Education Week, oh no, Education Week reporter Liana Heaton wrote earlier this year about the California district's effort to beef up its music program. The district hadn't had a dedicated music class in 20 years. Holy balls. This is the last bit of the article. Other findings. About one in three parents, 36%, said their children receive one year or less of music education. One in six parents, 16%, said their child had received no music education at their school. Parents and teachers want music to be required to be a required class in middle school. They also think it should be expanded to include contemporary and world music. I wrote earlier this month about some efforts towards that end. African-American and Hispanic parents were more likely than Caucasian parents to enroll their children in school music programs. The push to revive arts education has been growing for years. Arts education has been listed as a core academic subject since the No Child Left Behind Act was passed in 2001 and is included in the current reauthorization proposal. But NCLB also elevated other subjects like math and reading and tied them to high-stakes tests. Consequently, many schools began cutting back on arts programs, despite research suggesting, uh, suggesting potential academic benefits. By 2010, 40% of high schools no longer required that students take an arts course uh, takes arts courses to graduate, according to the report citing U.S. Department of Education statistics. The author of this week's study said the survey results support what art advocates have believed for years, that parents and teachers believe music education truly is essential. Uh, let's see. The data couldn't be more clear, said Peter Grunwald, the president of Grunwald Associates LLC, in a statement. Quote, teachers and parents told us repeatedly that music is an essential part of learning, not merely an extracurricular activity that can be cut when times get tough. They also suggested 10 common sense recommendations for parents, educators, educators, and policymakers. Let's see. Adequately fund music and arts education for all children. Require student participation in music education in middle school and high school. Increase awareness that federal law already designates the arts as a core academic subject. Ensure that every student who wants to play music has access to an instrument of choice and can take it home to participate, or uh, take it home to practice. Close, close the opportunity gap by reducing disparities in music education so that all schools Ge geographic regions and demographic groups have equal access to quality music education, provide professional development opportunities to all music educators, and consider integrating music into professional development for all educators. Increase the scope of all elementary school music programs to include instrument instruction, music theory, and composition. Oh, God, composition in elementary? God, <laughs> I've played an A. Anyway, increase awareness among administrators, teachers, and parents that Title I monies can be used for music education, increasing the number of programs that use these funds for music education. Join the Support Music Coalition, coalition and align with other teacher and parent groups to ensure all children have access to quality music education. And last but not least, conduct additional research to understand 
perceptions of music education. So, the one thing that I will say um, is that I remember being in band both in middle school and in high school. For me, where I grew up in, you know, Northwest Illinois, um, music programs were available K through 12. I did the entire time. Uh, okay, well, five through 12, I guess. Uh, I wasn't able to, I did have music classes, but I wasn't able to like join band or have my own instrument. I took piano lessons, but I was outside of the school. There were, it was entirely optional. It was available to us if we wanted to, but we didn't have to, it wasn't a requirement. And I remember as a result of that, there were some kids who were a part of the band program in middle school and in high school that I can recollect who just really, really didn't enjoy being a part of band. They were being forced to be a part of the band because of their parents. And they hated it. They did not like band whatsoever. I remember a particular trumpet player who just didn't care, goofed off, and uh, just was whatever about the entire thing. When I found him to be a particular distraction, just because he was goofing off behind me, or every so often, you know, I could see him on my peripheral vision to the left of me. He was annoying. I wish he wasn't a part of band. He wishes he wasn't a part of band. So I can see a potential, that one potential downside to, uh, you know, forcing kids having to do something that they don't want to. Just like they forced us to do the ACT and SAT. How useless those stupid things were. But all this, I... I support and I agree. I wish the sample size was more than just 1800, but I also don't know how long ago this was written. So it's very possible that someone has conducted a new, <coughs> bigger sample survey. There's another article here that I have, uh, basically listing, you know, uh, it's, this one is from the, uh, the save the music foundation. This one is actually recent, May 13th, 2021, by Leah Peralta, entitled Why Are Schools Cutting Music Programs? And it goes all the way back to 1997. And it just gives a history of music education budgets being cut in 2008 and 2009 during the Great Recession. Um... But there was something towards the end of this article that says, want to take action immediately? Here are 21 things you can do today to advocate for music education. Written by one of our own staff members. So that's the one that I want to read. The 21 things you can do today by Jacqueline Rudderall. So, you ready? Ready to be knowledged, ready to know how to support potentially your local or hometown band programs if you have them. Hell, there's actually a winery at Shelby's uh, 
grew up close to, they have a wine, a particular wine that you can purchase, and a portion of those proceeds go to the local band program. I find that awesome. I find that great. You can, you can drink your favorite beverage or a beverage and know that you did some good today with that one purchase. That's awesome. All right, so uh, I'll, I'll post this. Hold on, give me a second. Let me just boop, and then shaboop, and Number one, connect with your local school music teachers to see how you can help support the music program. Something as simple as baking cookies for back-to-school night can be a tremendous help as the school year gets underway. Awesome. I love baked goods. I don't eat them a lot, but I love them. Number two, identify key supporters of music education, including members of the school board, administration, school, faculty, parents, media, and influential civic and business leaders. Build relationships with these individuals before threats to the music program are apparent. Number three, encourage your district, school, and community leaders to utilize their social media platforms and school website to highlight your school music programs and speak on the importance of music education. Number four, ensure that your school administrators, teachers, legis legislators, and community members know that the Every Student Succeeds Act includes music and the arts as an in integral part of a well-rounded education. Visit aep-arts.org essa to learn more. Again, it'll be in this article. You can click on that if you wish. Number five, schedule student performances at local commuter hubs, train station, airport, bus terminals during peak commuting times. Be sure to have a sign with your school name and hand out information on the importance of music education and your upcoming school concerts dash events. Uh, I'd be very cautious about that one. Uh, you know, I say that just because the city that we live in, the local bus station that's in downtown kind of littered with questionable individuals so i wouldn't necessarily recommend them to come to music concerts anyway number six turn a local performance into an informant by placing interesting facts highlighting the benefits of music education inside concert programs dig into our principal's guide to find the latest research to pull from Number seven, invite community leaders to your concerts or arrange student performances at schools, PTA meetings, local businesses, the public library, or city hall. Host a reception following. People enjoy Kool-Aid. Number eight, encourage school staff to be involved in your music program. Do teachers at your school play an instrument, sing, or have children who study music? If so, invite them to participate in rehearsals and concerts. Number nine, sponsor an essay competition for students to write about why music is important to them. Arrange for the local newspaper to run the winning entry. Actually, I kind of like that idea. I would have done the same thing if I was in fifth grade. Number 10, arrange for your music program to perform at local preschool, elementary, and middle schools. This will get students and their parents from your feeder schools excited about continuing their music education. I remember doing that a lot. So I remember in high school, we would go out to all these other middle schools that were within the district of the high school that I went to, and we would perform for them. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, they enjoyed it, I think, I hope. At the very least, they got out of class, so they enjoyed that. However, I also remember 
my senior year of high school for a Susical the Musical. I was the Grinch. I probably said that before. But I remember we had, I don't remember how many performances we did. We did a lot of performances. And about a third of those performances were actually in the middle of the day because we had a bunch of elementary and middle school kids come to our high school and we performed Susical the Musical for them. I particularly felt <laughs> a little bit of pressure for the gal who played Cat in the Hat because there's a lot of like improv scenes that they have to do, run out to the audience and do this and that. I remember it going fine. But I think there were some instances and in some performances where she would run up to them with a microphone and be like, Oh my goodness, things are horrible for the Who's and Horton. What do you think is going to happen next? And she hold out the microphone to this poor child's face. And they'd just be like, Um, something good? Well, I hope so too. And then they'd move on to the next person. Some children wouldn't say anything. They would just like awkwardly giggle into the microphone. So props to her for being able to utilize the improv that she knew and and carry on that way. Uh, let's see. Number 11. Arrange for your school music program to perform at school board meetings regularly. On appropriate occasions, Follow this with comments from students about why music education is important. Allow school board members to both see and hear the value of music education. Don't wait until there is a threat to the music program. Oh, let's see. Shelby says, what you're reading is things I learned in music education courses in college. We had to take classes that essentially taught us how to market our band choir music program to hopefully one day save your entire program. If the public finds out administration wants to cut the music program, the public will rush forward to save it. So basically, they taught you to get the community behind you in order to save your program being cut. So it's not the administration looking out for your better interests and your job, but it's the community and the parents looking out for you and your job. Isn't that backwards, though? Community is key. God, I guess so. Holy crap. Um, I'm going to I'm going to finish reading these points uh, and then I'm going to call the podcast. But I, I again, I never took education courses. I my programs that I was a part of when I was growing up were never under threat of being cut. They were well supported. They were lively. And honestly, growing up, I, um, I never considered them being cut. It wasn't until, you know, I got into, uh, yeah, it wasn't until high school, like junior year, that I start hearing other programs of music being cut. And then, of course, that continued when I got into my community college. It was it was horrible. I felt so bad. You do want administration on your side, but sometimes they can't control what the government wants. Yeah, that's that's true too. That's true too. Um. Anyway, number twelve. Give a speech about the importance of music education to local civic organizations such as the Kiwanis Lions and Rotary Clubs. Oh yeah. Uh, invite local students to perform and share testimonials about the impact of music in their lives. Invite these civic organizations to support your music programs by participating in fundraisers and attending concerts. Man, I want a bike gain to attend my concerts. 
Can you imagine like an eight year, uh, like a, a 12 year old rolling up with Hell's Angels to attend their, their seventh grade band concert? That'd be awesome. 13. Nominate your administrator who has demonstrated strong support for the music for a music education award given by the local or state music educators association or established one in your district. Present this reward award at one of your concerts and be sure to invite school officials and community members. Number 14, create a program which local businesses can adopt a music program to provide funds for extra resources. Be sure that this support is not seen as a possible replacement for district funding of the music program. Yeah, dear God, that has to be a very delicate line. Um, let's see, Kriva. Right. Number 15, encourage your students to become music educators. Arrange for your music program to visit the music department of a local college or university. Visit with music educa education majors, attend classes, and speak with professors. Number 16, did you know that March is Music in Our Schools Month? I did not, actually. Ask your local television and radio stations to publicly recognize local music programs throughout the year and salute Music in Our Schools Month in March. Utilize your social media platforms and connect with MIOSM on Twitter and Instagram via hashtag MISM, hashtag Music Connects Us, and at NAFME. Number 17, encourage parents, students, and or influential members of the community to write an op-ed on the value of music education for your local newspapers. Invite a local news reporter to do a story or ask a newspaper to donate a full-page ad highlighting the benefits of music education. Number 18, keep all advocacy students... Yeah, keep all advocacy students centered. Encourage parents and community members to become advocates of your school music program and form a local coalition. For details information for detailed information on building a coalition, visit here to download NAM Foundation Grat Roots Advocacy Guide. 19. Write a letter to your member of Congress and legislators about the value of music education in your community, highlighting the benefits and impact of music education. List upcoming local school music events during the month and invite him or her to attend. Number 20. Get involved with your school district's planning committees, including curriculum, assessment, and budget. Be sure music and the arts are included equally with all other academic subjects. Position music education as important in and of itself and as an instructional tool to improve student achievement and school structure, uh, school culture, rather. And number 21, last one. Be involved in local, state, and national music education organizations and the Support Music Coalition at www.nomfoundation.org. Contact these organizations and find out how your school music program can be involved in conferences. For current research of the benefits of music education and other resources, explore these websites down below. So, I feel that... With the people that I know, uh, between my mods, between friends that I have, uh, it may be time to have a big old group come into the Fapism Fedora Studios studio. And we all have a, uh, a podcast concerning our education for music, 
the importance that it has done for us, where it has brought us, and how influential and great music has been for all of us. Uh, I personally can speak on how great music has been in my life and how many times it saved me from a lot of trouble. But that will be time for another podcast. We're going to wrap this one up here. So if you learned anything from this podcast, I would say, you know, support your local music scenes, support music education where you live. And you know what? Attend a couple of the concerts. They're free. You may as well. Oh, all right. Yeah, I'm going to wrap this up. So thank you so much for listening. Um, to the Frankly Speaking on Fridays podcast. Again, you can email the podcast at fsofpodcast at gmail.com for any questions, suggestions of topics, just want to say hello, by all means, fsofpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to check out tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Eastern time at twitch.tv slash fapismplays, where Shellbeast and I will be going through the Shellbeast rebloodening challenge of Bloodborne. I think she gave me one. (laughs) It was initially 16 hours, and now she's giving me eight in order to complete the game. Will I be able to do it? Tune in to find out tomorrow, 9 a.m. And as I always say, remember, uh, keep practicing no matter what it is. So long doesn't hurt you or anyone else. Keep practicing. I am going to practice not only the continued betterment of my career and financial standing, but you know what? I'm going to take out my French horn. Sometime this week, I'm going to take out my French horn. I'm going to clean it up. I'm going to oil it. I'm going to give it some... Uh, some lube for the slides. And you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna start buzzing on my mouthpiece again. I need to start there. Half hour, you know, three times a week, maybe four times a week. Half hour, buzz on my mouthpiece. If I'm feeling brave, I'll play a couple of scales. But I need to get back into my music, into my, into creating music. And my French horn is calling me, and I think I will answer that call. And I hope that you will do the same. You know that old guitar in the closet? Get some strings. Tune her up. Strum what you think you know. Need to create some reeds? Get out that get out that kid. Have a piano? Play a couple of scales. Have at it. Just get in tune with your musical self again. Alright. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves. We'll see you next week for the podcast. We'll potentially see you tomorrow for the stream. Take care, and I'll uh, I'll see you then.